This is our third week in our series that we have called In the Big Leagues. And we've considered the fact that probably out of millions of people in our country who play baseball, there are only a very elite few who are good enough to actually make it to the big leagues and become a professional baseball player. More than likely, most of us in this room have attempted to play baseball and not in any sense do I want to insult you, but probably none of us have the, the skill set at this point in our lives to be professional baseball players, to make it to the big league. And we talked about why there, that is, why there are only a few relative few that make it there. It's they get there because they have skills and abilities that most of us have. I think most of us can throw a ball and most of us can catch the ball. At least sometimes. But the thing about the big leaguers is that they have the skills that, that it takes to play baseball in a great abundance compared to, say, me. I had an embarrassing thing happen to me on Tuesday, and I'll confess it to you and tell you what happened. I'm a very good friend. Uh, I've known him for many, many years, of Pastor Dwight Mikesell, who is the pastor at Calvary Wesleyan Church in Bethlehem. I've known him many, many years. And um, he and I have this thing in common. We are Orioles fans. Go ahead, get your booze out and be sad for me. But we are Orioles fans and have been. I grew up in the eastern shore of Maryland, and I, I grew up loving the Orioles. Orioles, Dwight, Pastor Dwight likes the Orioles very much. He has a lot of Orioles gear. I don't, but anyway, he does. And so some time ago, Pastor Dwight gave me a call and he said, listen, Ken, he says, I know you like the Orioles. And on this particular day, it was last Tuesday, uh, it will be the 20th anniversary from when Cal Ripken set the most consecutive games played by a major leaguer. And uh, they're going to commemorate that 20 years later. Cal is going to be there. How would you like to come along with me? And he told me how much the tickets would be. And I said, you know what? That sounds like a good time i talked to consulted with my boss i mean wife and she she consented for me to do it and so we set the date and time and after i worked about a half a day here i slid on over to the church met up with with dwight and you saw a 58 and 59 year old man tooling down the road in a convertible with the top down going to baltimore baby it was a beautiful day we had a wonderful ride all the way to baltimore in the sun we had a great time yelling at each other because because it's loud when you ride in a convertible, so it's, it's good that I still have a voice. We were yelling back and forth, and we got there, and we got to see the game. That was, uh, uh, got to be there for the celebration. Sure enough, we weren't seated that far away from where Cal Ripken walked out on the field. Um, he was about as far as about maybe here to the entrance door of the church. So I got a really good view of Cal Ripken. And I, I've always respected Cal Ripken. He was a, a first-class baseball player. Seems to be a, a wonderful husband and father, very dedicated. And so I like Cal Ripken. So it was a good day to be sitting there watching that. One of the bad things about the day is that the Orioles decided to lose 11-2. to That's a bad game. 
shame. That's they they were horrible from the moment it started. They committed Oreo, uh, Orioles. They committed errors out in the field, and and that you know even professionals can make mistakes. So that takes softens the blow a little bit about what I'm about to tell you. I'm sitting there, and we were on the first base side of of the um, seats, and and we were ten rows back, and not that far from the dugout. And I'm sitting there, and one of the batters was up. He hits a ball, and it was a foul. And it was coming directly at me. So I stood up to use my athletic skills to get a souvenir. The ball, and I'm going to hold my shirt down so I don't show my big belly. The ball was kind of high and back. And I tried to reach back and it hit me right here. And bounced off. And I missed the ball. And some young guy dove on the ground and got the ball and stared at me like, don't even try it. Right? I'm like thinking, man. It was right there. And I missed the opportunity. And I proved again that I don't possess the skills that major leaguers have. Okay? I I played some baseball. I was in Little League. But I never, even if I would have devoted myself to becoming a big league player, I'm just not athletic enough. And I recognize that that's true. And I'm sure that some of you sitting here would say, yeah, that's true of me. I don't have that capacity. And then we talked about the fact, and I made this analogy, and, and I talked uh, to you about b- believers, people who are Christians. And there are some Christians in my life who just stand out. Because they possess qualities that the scriptures describe to us in abundance. And, and I admire their walk with God. Some of them have just enormous capacity for love, and we talked about that. Last week, we talked about the power of joy and how joy works in a Christian's life to, to, to see God work in amazing ways. And today, I want to talk to you a little bit about another fruit of the Spirit. We've been in Galatians chapter 5. That's been our foundational scripture. Just two verses here. And I'll come back to this. But I'm going to go ahead and read that passage now and then uh, go back up in my notes, uh, uh, Betsy, to let you know. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 says this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. For the big leaguers, the season's almost over. But it's been a long series. My Orioles are in fourth place in the American League East, unfortunately, and they are 11 games back. And there are 26 games left for them to play. And I think if they have a chance to be in the playoffs, they need to win about 20 of them. And so it's not really a good chance for them to make it. The Phillies, and I'm not trying to be cruel and rub it in, are even worse. They're also in fourth place in their division, but they're 21 games back. And even if they win out the season, they're not making it to the playoffs this year. And I'm not saying that to be mean. What I'm trying to illustrate is even for the fans, it's a long season. This has been going on a long time since they open, since opening day. Now, in terms of an inspiring Major League Baseball player, when he gets drafted and signed to a contract to play professional baseball for an organization, he finds out very quickly that he has to begin his career in the minors. 
Just because you, you sign up for the Orioles doesn't mean that you get to play for the big league team. You start out in their farm team system. And that's what happens to professional baseball players. They're still professional baseball players, but now they have to wait to be called up with, uh, with the major league team when they need him, when they want him. And while he plays in the minors, he may be told that he has to work on some things, on his form, or to adjust some of his mechanics, or his batting stance. There are many things that they will have the player work on while they're in the minor leagues. He may be asked to play a position that's different from the one he's the most comfortable with, but it is to help him be groomed to become a professional baseball player. And while he's at it, he has to be patient. He has to wait for the time when he will be called up into the big leagues. Here is where patience is required for him. The young player has to play where he is in the minors until he's called up. Until somebody higher up says, it's time for you to come up. And he may believe, I'm better than the veteran that's, uh, I'm waiting to get out of the way so I can play. He may believe it, but he has to be patient. And then when he's there, he has to try very hard not to try too hard. Because what happens to so many rookies is they finally make it to the big leagues and they press. They press at the plate. They press out in the field. They make mistakes. And and it can land them back in the minor leagues if they can't get a hold of themselves. Patience is a valuable thing for them. The The fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, patience. I want to talk to you about patience today, and I want to talk to you about why it matters. But before I even begin to preach this message to you, I will confess to you that sometimes God will have me preach things that um, I don't particularly feel adequately or adequate to preach about. And patience isn't one of the great fruits on my vine. There are times when I, I will be honest with you that I'm too impatient. And I want to say this in front of you. Impatience can be sinful. It can be very harmful. I want to talk to you about why it matters, why patience is so important. We all recognize that it's a broad subject, but I'm going to tell you that I think a lot of people have been hurt or killed because of their own impatience. They weren't careful enough. I remember a day on the job. I almost died because I was just too impatient. I had some work to do. It was very, very high. It was up above some concrete. And I jerry-rigged something instead of patiently building what I should have built. And I went up there on the thing and I almost fell off. And I would have fallen to my death for sure. It was 50 feet down to a concrete floor. But because of my impatience, I hurried along and I just did whatever I needed to do to reach what I was uh, reaching. And it was a very dangerous thing to do. Fortunately, God kept me from dying. But I've known of people who have died because they've been too impatient. I think a lot of people are incarcerated today because they don't possess the patience that they need. A lot of people are in real, listen to me, especially if you're younger, please hear this. A lot of people are in real financial difficulty today because they did not possess patience. We want what we want when we want it, right? When we want something, we want it now. And so often what we can do because we're impatient is go into debt that buries us. I know a lot of good Christian people who love the Lord. I believe they really do. And they would love to be able to help more people financially. And you know why they can't? 
because somewhere along the line they were too impatient and they buried themselves in debt and they have trouble even paying tithes, let alone helping people. They're buried. They have no money to spare because they have tied it all up in debt. And why do we do that? Because we're impatient. We, instead of buying the hoopty, We'll we'll buy a brand new car and we'll make the big payments. And and it's because we wanted that new car first. And and I just want to challenge you. I, I talk to young people about this who are about to get married um, when they're in front of me. And I really have a long talk with them about honoring God in your finances and waiting on God and letting God provide for you. Don't rush ahead and bury yourself in debt. That was free for you. Okay? I want you to really consider it because it's an important thing. Impatience has cost people a whole lot of problems. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 1 simply says this. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. And not waiting has caused so much heartache in people's lives. Let me give you just one example and warning. I'm about to say some things that are not politically correct. And some of you aren't going to like what I'm about to say. I just tell you this, but I will tell you it is firmly in the word of God. Okay, one instance of where people get in trouble because they're not willing to wait has to do with teen pregnancy. You see, God, and I I need you to know from a biblical perspective, sex is part of God's plan for people. But he has instituted that a place and a time for it to happen. And a lot of teenagers get in trouble because they do not think that they need to wait. And I will have to tell you, God didn't set these parameters uh, around our sex drive to make it hard on us. God did that to make sex for us when we are married to be a wonderful, beautiful, intimate thing that is shared between just one man and one woman. That's what the Bible says. And I need to say this to you just in case sometimes we get a little confused. If you have a sex drive, you're a normal human being. And that that drive is no more wicked than a hunger drive. It's just a drive that God created in you. And the fact that you would have any kind of desire doesn't make you wicked or evil in the sight of God. What would makes it become wicked or evil is when that becomes perverted. And one of the key ways that happens is we're not willing to wait for God's time in our lives. We want to involve ourselves now until instead of waiting on God for his his time. Boy, this really got serious really quickly, didn't it, today? But so many people have been broken because they've been unwilling to wait. So many have hurt themselves because they just wouldn't wait for God. And by the way, God has promised something far better if we will wait than if we don't wait. Far better for us. And that's hard to tell teenagers, I'll tell you, because teenagers can't see it. And I'm just telling you, teens, uh, that God does have a plan that is far better for you if you're willing to do things his way. I'm going to lighten up the mood a little bit, but I just want you to watch the screen for a minute. This helps us understand a little bit about what it's like to have to wait.
here's the deal. You're going to help me with a little experiment, okay? Okay. Okay. This is a heart cookie. It's your cookie. You can eat it now if you want. But I'm going to leave for a little bit. When I come back, if you haven't eaten it, I'll give you another cookie. But if you, if you do eat it, that's all you get. Okay? Okay. Okay, your choice. <laughs> Okay, who do you relate to there? <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's not easy to wait. And um, it's sometimes extremely hard. I love what Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says to us. And, and this is one of my favorite verses in Scripture. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I want to say I am so glad that God has been patient with me. I am so glad. And I don't want to cop out because I lack patience sometimes. 
So let's talk a little bit about what this is. And as I mentioned a little earlier, this subject of patience is huge. And there's a lot that uh, I could keep you here way too long, so I won't. I want to just focus in on one aspect of patience. And this is an important thing for all of us. I want us to talk, uh, talk to you. I want to talk to you today about waiting on God's timing. Waiting on God. We sang about that today and why it is important and what it is. There's a story that I want to show you that occurred many, many years ago in the uh, scriptures. It's a true story. And I just want to show this to you in a few moments. So just bear with me as I give you a little bit of uh, background. God had miraculously provided a wonderful land for his people, the nation of Israel. They were slaves. He delivered them. It's a long story. He took them through the Red Sea. He got them through the wilderness. And eventually, the Israelites under now Joshua's leadership ended up in the promised land. While they were there, it was a land they got to move into homes that they did not build. They got to to use roads that they did not create. They had a land that was the most fertile on earth, as I can understand. The fruit was bigger. The food was better. It was tastier. And God gave them this land. God, God also, at this point in their history, blessed them with absolute peace all around. They didn't have people trying to maraud them, maraud them come in and, 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 and take from them. They didn't have war going on. They had absolute peace. And what God had promised to them was this will be your existence as long as you love me. And as long as you obey me, I will bless you like this. And the, the nation of Israel had it very, very good. They were the greatest nation on earth. And they began to look around and notice that the kingdoms that surrounded them, without exception, every one of them had a king. And one of the things, one of the functions of the kings of that day was he would lead his nation, his warriors, into battle. And they got thinking to themselves, it'd be nice to have a king. And so they decided that that's some of the elders of the Israelites and, and the people decided that's what we want. We want to be like the other people around here and we want to have our own king. And they came to the man of God, a man by the name of Samuel. He was a prophet. He was a judge. He was a priest. And they came to Samuel and Samuel was kind of the liaison between uh, God and the people. God would speak to Samuel. Samuel would pass on the word of God. They would hear it and vice versa. When people wanted to inquire of God, they would ask Samuel to inquire of God. They came to Samuel and they said, this is what we want. We want a king. And immediately Samuel said, wait a minute, God is your king. What are you talking about? You don't want a king. You have a king. Your heavenly father loves you and he's made you the greatest nation on earth. You don't want an earthly king. And then Samuel began to say, this is what earthly kings do to their subjects. And he explained that they would be paying taxes and giving up their children for the king. And they'd, they'd, have, they'd be subject to this human being and that this human being would be corrupted by their power most likely. And it would cause trouble and headaches for you. You don't need anybody to lead you into battle. You have God. He fights your battles for you. And they would not listen. They would not accept it. They just put their foot down and say, we want a king. And God realizing, 
course, God hears everything. God, realizing that his people were rejecting him, said to Samuel, you know what, Samuel, if that's what they want, I'll give them a king. And the Lord called, um, called out a man by the name of Saul. And Saul was the first king of Israel. Saul had a lot of strong qualities. One of the things was he was physically taller than anybody else in the kingdom. He was head and shoulders taller than anybody else in the kingdom. So he was a physically impressive guy. He, he had humility. There were a lot of good qualities about him. And because God is so gracious, God said to, to Samuel to tell Saul this. Listen. I'm going to have you anointed and installed as king of Israel. And Saul, as long as you listen to me, as long as you heed my words and you lead the people to follow me, I'll bless you. What a great God. Amen. He could have been so mad and said, people want to reject me. I reject them. He didn't do that. He, he acquiesced because he loved the people. And he says, if this is what they want, they're settling for something way less than me. But if that's what they're doing, I'll bless the king and I'll help the king if the king will bow to me. If the king will be obedient to me. And I will give guidance to the king. And he said, through Samuel, if you hear the instructions through Samuel and you do what I tell you to do, Saul, I'll still bless you even though the people have rejected me. And so Saul goes along and, and, and things are going pretty well in the first king, uh, for the first king of Israel until after a while, Saul began to get arrogant. Because of his position, he started to think more of himself than he ought. And he began to do the things that Samuel had told people he would do. And he became corrupt. And there was a day when Saul was, was out in, ba- uh, in a battle, and he, did, he wanted the blessing of God, and he impatiently ran ahead of God, and he arrogantly acted in the role of a priest. That wasn't his job. God had never called him to be a priest. And he performed priestly duties instead of having Samuel there to do it. He didn't want to wait. He got impatient. And because of that, the day came when God said through uh, Samuel to Saul, I'm rejecting you as king. You did not listen to me. You're rejected and your kingdom is going to be torn from your hands. And so I want us to look now, if you will, in the book of 1 Samuel. And... And uh, chapter 24, uh, and I want to to uh, tell you this story. Just before we look at it, I want to tell you that a young man named, named Joe, uh, David would be the one who would secede Saul as king. You know who David is. He's the man that God had blessed in a great way, and he slayed the giant. And this young man would eventually be chosen by God because he had a heart for God. David knew that although he was one day going to be king, and although Samuel had anointed him and said to David, you will be the new king of Israel, he knew at that time he wasn't the king. He had to wait for God's timing. He, he was, in every other sense of the word, the king. God had set him up to be the king, but he could not act in that role because Saul was still on the throne. He knew that he had to wait, so he ended up serving Saul. And he was, uh, he was the man who led many military campaigns for Saul. And when he, 
He went out in a military campaign. God was with him. God bless him. He won all of the battles that he went out in. And so now David becomes more famous than Saul. And Saul then becomes extremely jealous of David because the young man was immensely popular in his kingdom. And Saul began to hate David. And he began to ascribe all kinds of evil motives to him and eventually tried himself to run a spear through him to kill him. Now we fast forward, if we can, to 1 Samuel 24. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he said he was told David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and set out to look for David. And his men were near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in that cave. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up on notice and cut the corner, uh, cut off the corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience stricken for having cut the corner of his robe. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With those words, David rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. I want to tell you that the story continues in this way. When Saul got a long ways away, David called out to him and he held in his hand a piece of the robe. And he said, Saul, you're out to kill me. You have 3,000 men. You're trying to kill me. I have 300 with me. And I wanted to show you that I had opportunity to kill you. But I, I don't want to wrong you in this way. And the beauty of this story is although Saul had impatience and he paid a great price, he lost the kingdom. David knew it was not time. David could have killed Saul in that cave. And probably from human standards, it would have been fine with the the people that were there with him. But God had said, this is not your time. And David showed the patience to wait on God and he would become a great king for the nation of Israel. How easy it would have been for David to have listened to his companions and killed him, kill Saul, but it wasn't right. The time was wrong for him to be king and he knew it. I hope I can make this point today to you. This is just one of those times when I have to say something that I have felt led as I prepared this message uh, to say without clearly understanding why I'm saying it or who this will be for. But I hope that someone here is listening. And as you listen to this, you know that the Holy Spirit is speaking directly to you and not because I'm special, but I sense that this is what God wants me to say. I believe that God is saying to somebody, he wants you to trust on God and to wait. If you force something to happen before it's time, things won't go well. But instead, if you will trust him and wait on his timing, there will be a great blessing. I don't know who that's for, but I just have a sense that God wants me to say that for you. I will say this. Waiting for God's timing, waiting for God's answer, trusting him when the pressure is on is a hard thing to do sometimes. But oh, not waiting is never worth it. Not waiting, rushing ahead, losing your patience. Wait on the Lord, I am saying to you. 
One of my favorite passages of Scripture is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And somebody here needs to hear this one more time. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And He'll make your path straight. He'll direct your path. He'll set your feet in the right direction. Somebody here needs to know that patience is needed in your life right now. And you just need to wait on God. God hasn't forgotten. God hasn't God doesn't have a bad sense of timing. God knows exactly what he is doing. Wait on the Lord, I say. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. I want to say that the way that patience is developed in our, our lives, because I'm, I'm going to go back to the analogy of the big league players. If you want to learn how to hit a baseball, you just need to keep doing it until you can do it. You got to get up at that plate and you have to be patient with yourself. You have to learn the mechanics and the timing. And you just have to keep trying to do it until you're able to proficiently do it. If you want to learn the skills of baseball, it comes by Happening over and over and over again. And there's no shortcut. Somebody can't walk up to you with a baseball wand and smack you on the head and poof, you're a professional baseball player and you're an elite athlete. That doesn't happen. You have to train. You have to work to become, to develop those kind of skills. Listen, if you want to be a Hall of Fame Christian and you want to have patience in your life, God can give you that. But there's no shortcut. Patience is developed through the difficult experience of going through trials and traveling through them, waiting for God's timing and trusting in his wisdom and trying to learn when we have trials. I challenge you to this. Don't waste your trials. We're all going to have them, right? And I'm sure that this very week, some of you had some trials to go through, some hardship to face. And maybe this very week, some of you got a little impatient. Some of you got lost or got hung up in traffic. And and that's some that's one of my spots where where I just I've, I've been praying about this and I'm doing a lot better than I did. But but I can tell you, I can lose my cool in traffic like I and I'm just being honest about this. This isn't something I'm bragging about. But if I'm in the left lane and the person ahead of me is in the left lane and they're going the same speed as a person in the right lane, I can lose it. I can get frustrated in my mind and say, what's the matter? You know, just move over to the right lane. You can go slow. I want to speed, which is wrong. I'm just being honest about it. And I lose my patience. I want to be there. And I want to be there yesterday. That's how I am. And I get like that. And the hyperdoodleness in me causes me to get all antsy. And once in a while, I'm going, what are you doing? You know, and I'm doing all these like, what? What's going on? Yeah. And, and if somebody's looking in the mirror, I know they're going, oh, my word, the guy's having spasms back there. Some bad's happening to them. And I do honestly think there are a few people who just want to ride back there and laugh at me. I'm just going to stay right here. This guy's hysterical. 
Look at him coming up on my bumper. That's hysterical. Look at him. He's going to blow a gasket. I think his eyeballs are going to fall out. And, and we can get this way. All I'm trying to say is don't waste your trials. When you are facing a hardship, if you learn how to call on God and wait on God, it develops in you a patience. And that's a fruit of the Spirit, and it's a holy thing. And I just spent some time this morning telling you how impatience can destroy you and become a sin. I don't want that to happen. I don't ever. I Sadly, about this time last year, my wife was going home from church and a young man got very impatient. And he killed people because he had an accident. And it was all about being impatient. It's a serious thing. And I'm praying to the Lord that God will help whoever is going through trials. And I know I'm looking into the eyes of somebody who's struggling here and you're going through trials. And I'm praying that you will please not waste your trial. Learn to seek God in your trials so that patience is developed in you and so that you can God can use you. You know what? Sometimes God will have you wait so that he has you in the right place when he needs you. Running ahead of God. we And I'm not going to get into this greatly, but we talked this morning in Sunday school, in our adult uh, Sunday school class, about somebody who got very impatient with God and ran, ran, and ran. And, and God ended up asking him, what are you doing here? Why are you here? It was a wonderful lesson. You should come to Sunday school. You'd enjoy it. Can I please tell you that you are going to face trials? All of us will. All of us do. And since that is true... I urge you to develop your patience as you travel through. It will pass. At some point, it will end. Lean in to your Creator. Trust in Him and seek Him and call on Him and ask Him for wisdom and strength. Put your faith in Him.